You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. We begin a new series today called Break Every Chain as we learn together these next five weeks how to walk in freedom. Freedom from circumstantial happiness, we'll look at that in a few weeks. Freedom from guilt, freedom from religiosity, uh, freedom from people pleasing. We'll all probably need that message that day. Today, uh, freedom from fear, that, that God has given us a spirit of liberation, therefore we should be free from fear. Now, some of you might be thinking, I ain't afraid. Two things. One, that's poor grammar. Number two, we all kind of have this underlying, sometimes unseen sense of, of dread or, or a fear of things to come. And we, if you don't think that you have fear, then kind of do an inventory this past week or so. Have you acted out against God? Have you acted out against others? There's a very real possibility that actually came from this underlying, deep-seated fear. Uh, let me give you some of the ways that, that we fear in our world today. Number one, we fear loss. Uh, we fear loss of relationships. We fear loss of, of possessions. We fear loss of control. First of all, we fear loss of, of people. Will, will I stay married? Is she going to leave? Is he going to leave? Will I have this treasured friendship for the rest of my life? Or will there be a falling out? Will there be a betrayal? Will there be hurt feelings? Will my kid always love the Lord? I, I hate to see my kid being lost to the world. My kid always loved, loved Jesus and loved, loved the church. A lot of us have that, that sense of a fear of loss, loss of a person. If not a person, maybe it's, it's a possession, things that we have. Well, will I always have enough money? Will I have enough things to kind of make it through life? Moms and dads, will I have enough money for my kids' tuition? Will I always have enough money for, for a house, for a place of safety, a, a place to, to be with my friends, to be with my family? If it's not a fear of loss of people or loss of, of possession, maybe it's a fear of loss of control. God, what if, what if something happens in the future and I, I don't see it coming and, and I can't manage it and I can't, can't control it? Well, I'll be able to manage all the things that's coming in my future. You know, we don't worry about yesterday. It, that's already happened. We don't worry about today. We're, we're in it. We're present in it. It's the fear of the future that causes anxiety. That, that fear of being unable to control what is next. So we fear loss. Not only do we fear loss, we fear pain. Whether it be physical pain, emotional pain, or, or, or final pain, physical pain. We, we, we're, we're sick and we wonder, you know, what, will I get better? I, I don't feel well. Is there something wrong with me? Some people, honestly, there's a fear of going to the doctor, of just finding out what the disease or the prognosis or the situation might be. Uh, there's some that, that grow fear, fearful. Maybe this is you of every time a doctor calls and you wonder, what's, what's the news gonna be? Am I gonna have good health, bad health? Is my health failing? We, we fear pain physically. Is there awful news coming? We, we fear that pain emotionally. Will I be rejected? Will someone walk out on me? What, what if I don't have what it takes? What if I fail at this job? What if I fail in this relationship? What if I fail in school? I thought I had what it takes, but I have this, this emotional fear now of, of, of not getting there, of not being there, of not being that person. I'm not who I thought I was, and I can't do what I thought I could do. And then I know there's a, a fear of that final pain of, of death. How will I die? 
Will it hurt when I die? Will it be pain when I die? Will I be lonely and all alone? Will people be around me when I die? Psychology Today in the year 2015 did a survey of what most Americans are fearful of. The number one fear in America is the fear of death. How will I die? Will there be people around me? Will it be painful? And of course, in that fear of death is what happens after death. So probably a lot of us in this house, when you see those things on the screen, you think, maybe I do have some fear. A fear of loss or, or, or a fear of, of pain. But let me just say this to you. You can write this down or just consider this with me. Fear is the opposite of all that being in Christ should be. Fear is the opposite of walking with Jesus. Fear is the opposite of, of all the benefits of knowing Christ as Savior and Christ as friend. A fear of God, that, that's a good thing. Fear of everything else. Fear of everything else says that we don't truly understand the the joy and the privilege and the benefits and the honor of walking with Jesus and being in Christ. Fear is the opposite of everything being in Christ should be. And the scripture is filled with, with words to us, with God's word to us, the, the treasure of scripture to us. Uh, Isaiah 43, one, do not be afraid. I, I have called you by name and you are mine. Psalm 27, verse one, the Lord is my light and he is my salvation. The Lord, he is my stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of self-discipline, of self-control. John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave and I give to you, but it's not peace like the world gives. The peace that I give to you will settle your heart, so do not be afraid. God's word over and over again reminds us that fear is the opposite of all that being in Christ should be, and, and let me just say, Highland, there's, there's a price tag for fear. We pay a heavy price for fear. I just share with you some of the ways that maybe a lot of us in this house this morning, the, the, the high price tag that we have to pay constantly in, in fear. The first one is simply this, fear, it freezes us. Fear, it paralyzes us. It causes us to stop our, our progress relationally. When we're afraid, we can't move forward in our relationship with God. When we're afraid, we can't move forward in our relationship with others. It just causes us to, to stay in this panic mode. I would say today that our nation, and this is not a political statement, but our nation today seems so unsteady or is so unsteady. Because we have leaders who are so afraid of making the wrong decision or so afraid of making a politically incorrect decision or so afraid of not being elected again that they do nothing. Fear has paralyzed our nation. Maybe fear has frozen you. And you just can't move forward in relationship, whether it be with God or, or with others. The second thing fear does, here's the price tag, fear penalizes us. Fear, fear is a penalty for us. It makes things a lot harder than they, than they need to be. Those of you on the back of the room, you don't know that this happens a whole lot, but people who normally sit here at the front, they know this happens a lot. In fact, they probably know what I'm about to do right now. I often, when I'm preaching, will put my toes over the edge of the platform up here. My wife goes to the 840 worship gathering, and she's always seated right here on the second row, and I can watch her eyes get bigger and bigger as I get closer and closer to the edge of the stage. And if I'm being transparent, sometimes I do it just to watch her eyes get bigger and bigger, just to kind of make her panic a little bit, I kind of see it out of the corner of my eye. She's like, oh. I mean, I, I feel very comfortable up here. You know, my, my, my toes are kind of curling over a little bit. And I do this, ask the front two or three rowers who are up here often. I'm often doing this. It doesn't make me afraid. Like I feel like I can kind of walk, you know, balance on the, on the very edge here. Not a big deal at all. However, 
if I was not three feet off the ground, but 100 feet off the ground, and this was the edge of a 10-story building, I would be so far back on this stage because I, I hate the thought of falling. I, hate, I, I don't like heights. It's just, well, I don't like the fall of hitting the ground. It's not really the falling as much as hitting the ground at the very end of it that I'm more afraid of. And so there, it's amazing that even though the edge is just the same, my toes can curl over the edge. If this is 100 feet straight down, it's amazing how fear distorts things. And what once didn't seem like that difficult of a task just to kind of curl my toes over the edge of a three-foot stage, that exact same task now seems very unreasonable to me. Fear distorts reality. That's one of the penalties that we pay when we're afraid. The third thing I want to share with you this morning is that fear punishes us. Fear is a damaging emotion. Fear is, is dread which in such a way that it makes joy impossible. So not only does fear freeze us, it penalizes us, it also it punishes us. Uh, I'm going to lose the under 35 crowd when I say this, but there was a lady uh, that used to write a, an article in the newspaper. It was read by 9 million people every week. Her name was Ann Landers. Some of the people who are over 35 are like, yes, I remember her. She had a 47-year record of, of writing from 1955 to 2002, right when she died. She did an article called Ask Ann or Ask Ann Landers. And every week, people would write in and ask for advice, like, how do, I, how do I do this? How do I accomplish that? Again, 9 million readers. The number one letter she got, 10,000 letters a week, was on the subject of fear. 10,000 letters a week for 47 years from Americans that somewhere in that asking for advice, it stated this little sentence, I am so afraid that, and just fill in the blank. We pay a heavy price for fear. Well, my message this morning just has one point, but don't let that make you feel like it's gonna be a short sermon. I just have one point for you today, and, and here it is. You can write this down or memorize this with me. When God is magnified, fear is neutralized. When God is magnified, fear is neutralized. Fear and, and a right view of God cannot coexist in our hearts and our minds. So when my, my heart is filled with fear, what that means is I'm not rightly estimating the limitless capacities of God. I have forgotten that he cares for me, that he knows me, that he, that he loves me, that he knows my situation, he knows my name, he knows my story. Fear and a faith in a God that can do all things cannot coexist in a heart or a mind. So when God is magnified, fear is neutralized. Would you say that with me, please? When God is magnified, fear is neutralized. Why don't you turn to somebody and just say that to them? When God is magnified, fear is neutralized. Awesome. Make a brand new friend. Turn to somebody else and say, when God is magnified, fear is neutralized. Awesome. Look at all these great friends you made in church today. That's great. Would you go with me, please, to 2 Chronicles chapter 20? 2 Chronicles chapter 20, if you're relatively new to church, is the 14th book of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Go to chapter 20 with me, please. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let's begin in verse 1. If you forgot your copy of God's Word, I encourage you to at least follow along on the screen behind me. If not, sit next to someone who has it or go to your app on your phone this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. All right, after this, let's stop. Didn't get very far. After this, what, what's just happened? Well, Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. 
and that's the southern kingdom. Israel's in the north, Judah's in the south where Jerusalem is. And he has made all these great reforms in, in chapter 19. He has put the priest in the right place. He has appointed some wonderful judges. He's made some great decisions according to the law and what the law is going to be. It's good policy. It's good for the people. Jehoshaphat was a, a good king. He was a wise king. He ruled for, for 25 years. He's the fourth king of Judah. And so after he made all these reforms, all these great ideas, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them some of the Meunites, they came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazan, Tamar, that is, and Gedi. A great multitude. In Hebrew, in Hebrew that really is a, is a picture of overwhelming numbers are coming. There's a number coming toward us right now, Jehoshaphat, and we are greatly outnumbered by these people. Some of you are map nerds. I know this because I'm a map nerd. I'll be the chief map nerd in this congregation if you want me to be. On the screen behind me, you're gonna see what's, what's happening here. So this is a satellite image I took um, of, of the, I didn't take it, but I took it off of Google, of, of, uh, of the Dead Sea. And so up in the upper left-hand corner, that's the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, there's kind of a small circle at the top of the screen. That's the Sea of Galilee. There's a blue river that runs down. That's the Jordan River, and it runs into the Dead Sea, or the Old Testament will call it the Salt Sea sometimes. On the east side of, of the Dead Sea, you see those, those three circles, those three colored circles. Yes, I made those myself also this week. And at the top, you have the Ammonites, or the kingdom of, of, of Ammon. So even today, Ammon, Jordan, is, is right there within that circle. Uh, below that, you have the kingdom of Moab, the Moabites. Uh, this is where Ruth came from. When she came to Bethlehem, she was Moab. Then there in the bottom, the south of the, of the Salt Sea, uh, south of the Dead Sea, that's the kingdom of Edom or the Edomites. Uh, it is there where Mount Seir is found, and we'll read about Mount Seir here in a little bit. So the Bible says right here that they're coming up, and they have made their way to En Gedi. Now you can see En Gedi is on the west side of, of the Dead Sea. I have made a little circle there, wrote that word En Gedi. En means the fountain. Uh, Gedi means the young goats. So you can go to En Gedi today. And there's a fountain, and there are still goats running around that fountain. I've been there several times. It's amazing, a beautiful place. It's right there on the Dead Sea. But you see also Jerusalem. This is where Jehoshaphat is. This is headquarters for Judah, the southern kingdom. Jehoshaphat was there in Jerusalem. So if you were to take a, a little marker there and figure out how long it is or how far it is from En Gedi to Jerusalem, I'll tell you, it's 25 miles. So they have come south. It says that right there. They have come. The Ammonites have come. Uh, the Moabites have come. The Meunites who are there on Mount Seir, also in the, in the kingdom of Edom. It says in the Bible, they've come around the south side. So they've come through the kingdom of Edom. They have made their way to En Gedi and they're marching to Jerusalem. Let's pick it up in verse three. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Huh, he was afraid. And set his face to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now let's stop right there. Jehoshaphat was rightly, in this situation, afraid. But look what he does immediately. Jehoshaphat was afraid, this is verse 3, and then set his face to seek the Lord. He immediately turned to God. No waste of time. He didn't bring a council together. He didn't pass out. He didn't do an inventory of his spears and his chariots. He didn't wonder what to do. He was afraid and immediately set his face to the Lord. And then what does he do? He proclaims a fast. Let's stop eating. 
Let's seek the Lord. Let's set our faces to the Lord. Let's set our hearts to the Lord. Let's get serious about God and serious about God right now. So he calls all the people of of Judah to come and to seek the Lord. And what he is saying by doing that is we're over our heads. We are greatly outnumbered. This will not end well for us unless the Lord steps in. Let's turn our face to the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Let's call for a fast. Let's call for a fast now. Now, what other human tendencies would have kicked in for us? Jehoshaphat could have just kind of squared himself up and said, I know I'm gonna die, but let's just go into battle. That would be a human tendency for some people. Or he could have retreated very quickly and just said, I'm, I'm out of here. I mean, good luck, army, good luck, men of Judah. I, I am fleeing to the north. I'm gonna disengage. I'm gonna completely pull out of this. I'm not gonna be a part of this at all. Or I guess the third option would just be to sit in his palace there in Jerusalem and quake with fear. But Jehoshaphat immediately turned to the Lord. If you deal with fear, deal with anxiety, deal with the fear of loss or, or fear of pain, I would encourage you to, to, to mimic the life of Jehoshaphat. Instead, he makes his way to the Lord immediately. Not all the other human tendencies. He runs to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. Pick it up here in verse five. This is now Jehoshaphat speaking of the nature of God. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. It must have just had a, an update to that. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations and in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Jehoshaphat begins to treasure the sovereignty of God. Begins to esteem the might and the power of God. He begins to speak of the unequaled greatness, the vastness of the greatness of God. If you have the New American Standard, I love how this is rendered at the very end of verse six. In verse six, it says, none can stand against you. Now, verse seven, let me tell you what's about to happen. Jehoshaphat's about to give some history. And what he's about to do is to stand before the people and say, fear not. God will do what God has done. If you deal with fear, that might be a good thing to write in your Bible, write in your journal, write in the back of the handout, or just memorize that with me. If you fear a lot, fear not. God will do what God has done. Look what Jehoshaphat says here. He declares the history of God. He declares the faithfulness of God here in verse seven. Did you not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel? and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. What he is saying is, God, I know who you are. I know your reputation. I know what you're able to do. I know what you have done. Look at verse eight. And now they've lived in Israel. The the, the people of God, they've lived in Israel. And and they have lived this out. And they built for you a sanctuary for your name, saying in verse nine, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and you will save. What is this history? This is Jehoshaphat remembering, although he probably wasn't there, but knew that a prayer was prayed in this place. 75 years before this passage. Uh, if you don't need a cross-reference, it's 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 33. Under Solomon, they prayed this prayer. They said, oh God, if danger ever comes, if pestilence ever comes, 
if, if, if armies ever come to invade us, we will cry out to you. And when we cry out to you, you will save us. And so here's what Jehoshaphat is doing. He's reminding God of God's promises to his people. When you're dealing with fear, friends, just keep reminding God of all the promises he has given you. God will do what God has done. Look at verse 10. And now, behold, the men of Ammon, of Moab, of Mount Seir, whom, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, here's how they reward us. They reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. So again, here's the history that Jehoshaphat is reminding God of, as if God needs a reminder on history. He said, God, you remember we wanted to drive these people out. We wanted to see them as our adversary, but you said, no, you let them be on that side of the Dead Sea. I'll give you the land on the other side of the Dead Sea. Don't drive them out. Don't push them away. And so now Jehoshaphat is saying, God, wouldn't it have been a good idea to have killed them a while back? Because now they're coming to kill us. Now they're coming to to wipe us out. And I believe verse 12 of chapter 20 is the crux of this story. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Friends, those who deal with fear in this house, that's the essence of fear. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about this situation. I don't know what to do about my health. I don't know what to do about my relationships. I don't know what to do about my finances, about, about my grades, about this situation, about this decision. This is the essence of fear. I don't know what to do. And here comes Jehoshaphat and he says, I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is Jehoshaphat saying, I'm powerless, but I'm keeping my eyes on the power. I'm keeping my eyes on the power itself. How, how often does God put us in this type of situation? I'll answer first, often. Takes us to a place where we go, God, I have have no idea what's next. I have no idea what to do. I don't know the answer, but my eyes are set upon you. Have you heard that terrible phrase, God will not give us more than we can handle? You know what that is? Gosh, what can I say in church? That's, That's cow manure, that's what that is. Now, God will not give you more than God can handle, but all day long, God's gonna give you more than you can handle. This is more than Jehoshaphat could could handle. He's a good God. He's a godly, good king. He's a godly king. He saw the goodness of God, and yet here he is afraid. He's saying, I don't know what to do, which is okay, because God will never give us more than God can handle. Here we are. And that begins to chip away fear. Look at verse 13. Now here comes the voice of God. Meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord. They've been called to a fast. They had their little guys with them, their infants with them, their wives with them, their children with them. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. This is fascinating. God's about to speak to his people through probably a young guy named Jehaziel, which by the way, this is awesome. I love how God brings comfort in the middle of our fear. The name Jehaziel means God sees us. So hey, let's call up a kid. His name is God sees us. That's a really important name to to hear. God sees us. And and we get the whole lineage here. He's the son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah. He's a Levite, the sons of Asaph in the the midst of the assembly. Verse 15, here comes the the voice of God through through a kid named Jehaziel that God sees us. And here's what Jehaziel says. Listen, all Judah 
and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and listen, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours but God's. This isn't your battle. This isn't for you to be afraid of. The battle belongs to the Lord. You know, sometimes we go, we go to the Bible and we're looking for a new word when the entire time we need to go to the Bible and look for a good word. I got one amen. I'm gonna say that one more time. For, I'm gonna you know, get geared up. Here it comes. Sometimes we go to the Bible looking for a brand new revelation, a brand new word. Go to the Bible to find a good word. Oh, it's, it's too late. You should have done it the first time. So here we go. We're going to see in this, in this passage here, this incredible thing that God has said to, to Jehoshaphat. What he is saying here is the battle belongs to the Lord. How often those who go to church, have you heard that sermon? Yes, I know. The Lord will fight for me. Stand back and see the salvation of God. The battle is not mine. The battle belongs to the Lord. You know why you hear that so often? Because it's true. And you've just heard that truth over and over and over again in your life and in your heart. I know you've heard this before. This is such great truth for us. Now look at the promises of God here in verse 16. So tomorrow, this is Jehaziel still speaking as the prophet of God to the people of God. Tomorrow, go down against them. And behold, in fact, God even knows how this army is going to make its way up. Tomorrow, go down against them. And they're going to be coming up by the ascent of Ziz. And you'll find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. And you will not need to fight in this battle. He says it again, stand firm, hold your position, which I think just means find a seat and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. The Lord will be with you. Are you afraid? The Lord will be with you. Anxious? The Lord will be with you you. If you're in Christ Jesus today, that is a covenant promise that God has made to you and will keep to you for all eternity. If you're in Christ today, that is a promise of the covenant of God made through Christ Jesus, that he will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, what's our role? I mean, don't don't you read this and go, this is awesome, God. Can't wait for you to fight for me. Now, what do you want me to do? Even though God's prophet has already said, you just sit there, find your position. I love this. In verse 18, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. This is the king bowing his head with his face to the ground. And all of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korhites, which are the singers, they stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice voice. Don't tell me to sing softly in church with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah, hear me, inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and to praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and said, and saying, gave thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. God, what can we do? Want us to bring our spears? No, bring a flute. Can we hit them with the flute? No, don't hit them with the flute. You're just going, you're, you're watching. You're watching me, God, can, can, we, can, we bring like, can we bring some shields? 
Some armor? No, just bring the altos. Bring someone that can kind of do that counterpart underneath when they sing out. God, can, can, can we bring, our, can we bring a, our, our, our armament with us? Can we bring our spears with us? Can we bring our, our shields with us? Can we, can we bring our, our swords with us? No, just, just bring a tambourine. Just come ready to praise. Look what it says here in verse 22. And when they began to sing, and when they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord himself set an ambush against the men of Ammon, of Moab, of Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Family, what do you do when you experience fear? What do you do when you come to a place you're like, I don't know what to do. I feel powerless. I have no idea what's next. I'm afraid of the future. What do you do when you experience fear? Here it is, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You believe God, you bow before him, and you sing. That's God's word. We're in a place of fear, a place of indecision, a place of anxiety, a place where you have no idea what is next. What should you do? Believe God, not believe things about God, but believe God himself. And bow down. Bowing before the Lord is a sign that you are so dependent. Bowing down means, God, I cannot and you can. In fact, bowing down means, God, I cannot nor can anyone else, but only you can. And then sing. I don't have a good voice. Sing. I hate the way I sound when I sing. Sing. Or just stay in fear. Or stay frozen. Or stay punished by fear. Stay penalized by fear or believe God. Bow before him and sing and praise and worship him. Do you deal with fear? Deal with anxiety? Get to a place just as Jehoshaphat did. I do not know what to do, verse 12. This next song we're gonna sing, I encourage you who deal with fear come and just kneel here at the front. That's the bowing down part. And as you're walking down the aisle, just encourage you to say, even if it's in your heart, God, I believe you. I believe you. I don't believe my feelings. I don't believe my emotions, but I believe you. I don't just believe things about you. God, I believe you. Then I'm gonna encourage you to sing for all of us to sing. Hey, would you stand with me? Let's pray together. God, we... God, we believe you, and when we believe you, we are established. God, we believe that you fight for us and that we can just stand and watch your rescue and watch your salvation. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are set on you, and we will not fear. Jesus, when we stand in the shadow of your cross, we're not afraid. Because at your cross, our sin, our death, our fears were crucified. Our sin, our death, our fears were defeated. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Free absolutely, free forever. So God, today we're just gonna mimic your man Jehoshaphat and your people of Judah. And we're gonna believe you. And we're gonna sing. We're gonna believe that in Christ Jesus, we are free from the bondage of fear. 
We are free from the chains of anxiety. For many here today, may they need to leave their seats and bow down, believe, and sing. God, we thank you for your cross. In it, we have found freedom. And in you, we have found freedom forever. In Christ we pray, amen.